0: Welcome to the Duet Partner Podcast. By the age of 23, I've, I've set my whole adult life into, I in my just a debt that will carry me everywhere. It affects my ability to own a home, and it, it affects, um, you know, whether I have children. I mean, that's a, a huge thing. Karen Polshuk
1: is an in-demand cello teacher in New York City, Her exceptional education includes degrees from Teachers College, Columbia University, the Cleveland Institute of Music, and SUNY Purchase Conservatory of Music. She loves the cello and she loves teaching, but this education came with a real cost.
0: I have about 40 cello students, uh, and a few of them take two lessons a week. Um, And like a lot of cello teachers in New York, I have a little bit of a mix of everything. I have my private studio where students come to me, um, and then I teach at several schools. So I'm at um, Manis Pre-College um, on Saturdays, and the students get orchestra and chamber music and theory classes, and they get a really full experience there. Um, and I'm also at Silver Music, um, which has a really fantastic cello group feel. We do these Wonderful festivals at the end of the year every year, um, and then I'm teaching at the Alan Stevenson School, which is an all boys private school, um, and that's been a really wonderful for me personally to be able to have some morning work. <laughs> um, you know, as a as a cello teacher, we're often kind of restricted to these after school hours from three to eight, three to nine at the latest. So um, working within the school has really opened up a lot of income potential and also just have some evenings for now, which I haven't had in the beginning. I didn't have at the beginning of my teaching career. So it's been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, that's, that's actually a really interesting consideration that, um, you know, sometimes in fact, I was talking to uh, Zachary Sweet who did a, a webinar for us and he actually talked about how his work schedule has really shifted, to the second half of the day and he actually really likes that he spends his morning you know sort of in self-care and doing his errands and prepping for other other kinds of work right other other assignments he has as a cellist but the teaching and the performing and really comes in in the evening and afternoon so that's kind of a interesting Absolutely thing.
0: and I I think I would not be happy if I had to give that up entirely. I, I Just like Zach, you know, I love my mornings. Um, I'm, I'm a big swimmer, so I, I get out to the beach on the days when I don't start until three. Um, so, and I, you know, I have my routine and I practice. So I've, I've really come to love those mornings. Um, but it, you know, it's also quite restrictive to having any kind of a social life and it's quite isolating. Um, so so that's where I, I like now that I I have a couple of mornings a week that I'm working. I get to actually um, have dinners with friends and 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 get to see some people. Um, you know, not in the last two years as much, yeah. but <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just something to you know. When you get into teaching, you don't really think that you're committing to a certain kind of you know working evenings and weekends. Often it's just very hard to see my family. It's hard to see good friends. So it's, it's been an interesting shift to kind of have a mix now. Do you have a particular teaching philosophy that you
1: subscribe to or a set of values that guide your teaching?
0: Sure. Um, You know, I could talk about this for the full hour, so I'll try to keep this short. Um, You know, for me, my main goal with teaching is really just infusing my love for cello and learning and encouraging a just a lifelong curiosity about just the excitement of what it is to play and learn and connect with each other and find the solace of the cello you know um it's been such a powerful thing to watch my students in these last few years in such a troubling time, be able to come to their cello and have that be their steady rock. Um, And so that's been really special. That's, I think that's my starting point for everything.
1: We're talking today specifically about how to be smart about pursuing your degree. So when you and I first uh, talked, this was really a theme that kind of bubbled to the top of our conversation. You have wonderful training at very prestigious schools. Um, And like many, you know, uh, musicians of your caliber, the journey to being a musician of your quality has involved years of training. And you expressed to me that, you know, there's lots of joy in this journey. Um, There are inspiring teachers and colleagues, there is exciting interaction Uh, with colleagues and students and and wonderful performances. Uh, But there's one element that's universally disliked, which is the cost. And you've had all the good parts of the journey, uh, which I I hope you'll share more with us. But um, we're also going to talk about your other reflections on what you might have done differently in getting to be one of the most um, sought-after and accomplished cello teachers in New York.
0: Sure. So um, I went... From a school of music, I I went to conservatory. I went to the Cleveland Institute of Music, which was just such a special place. I'm I went to school with some of the top performers and educators in the field. Now it's been really fun to see all of my my fellow colleagues just just all over. You know, they've got recordings, and I mean, you're just seeing them everywhere. So it's it was a really wonderful place to, to learn. I was an exciting time. Um, in Cleveland, there really wasn't much else to do. It was, it was hard for me coming from New York, um, where you had, you know, we have so many, we have just everything available to us here in New York. And, you know, I got to C- Cleveland and it was like, well, there was one thing going on every weekend, but, that meant everyone you knew was at that symphony that weekend, and you got to share your experiences. so it was it was quite a special time. Um, and I went on from there to SUNY Purchase. Um, my teacher in Cleveland' uh, Stephen Gaber, recommended me to his sister-in-law. Uh just happened to be his sister-in-law, Julia Lichten, who's an amazing cellist and fantastic teacher. And he, he was like, you know, I really think you're going to hit it off well with her. And I had a lesson with her. And it was just instant. I just loved her style. And so I went off to SUNY Purchase. And I've been in New York ever since then. Um, and Julia kind of helped me find my way back into teaching. Um, I was you know, trying to do some auditions, and she kind of just refocused me. She was like, you know, every time teaching comes up, you light up. Like, you should be focusing on that. Um, And that's really what helped me, direct me to go to teacher's college, um, where I did my music ed degree. Um, And at the time when I was going to teacher's college, um, I'm not sure we actually even got into this much. It wasn't to teach cello. I had this Um, I was looking into starting nonprofits and really trying to get music into schools and more of a general music area. And that was kind of what brought me to Teachers College. And it was a few years of that that made me realize I really missed that one-on-one connection of the private teaching. And so it took me about three or four years to get finally to where I'm at now, which is the that special one-on-one bond that you can get with a private lessons.
1: So you refer to returning to teaching. Um, tell us a little bit about your experience with teaching. I know you started very young, right? Helping other students.
0: Yeah, sure. So I, um, you know, I'd like to tell people that I found my way into teaching from influences of the most amazing teachers and some really not great teachers. Um, My elementary school orchestra teacher was really just, she was just mean, you know, there, there was no real other way to describe it. There was, there was just kind of hate in the room sometimes. And, and from a very young age, I would watch how she talked to, The students. And I remember, you know, I was like eight or nine years old thinking, gosh, I, that's not the way you should teach music. And I I think I can do do this better. And I would, you know, try to encourage my friends and get them going. And um, so that, that kind of started from a young age. And then, you know, I, I had, I haven't even broached the subject of my my teacher from Manhattan School of Music, who's just completely changed my life. Um, Madeline Goltz was just in every way an amazing teacher. She helped me become the cellist I am today and the human I am. I mean, everything about my life, I think, really started when I started working with Madeline. Um, so I, I have that experience.
1: If I can interrupt, I sure. just think. I just want to highlight that experience of that negative influence in your life. I think a lot of times, you know, teachers are so adored and revered and they should be right. Because um, we do have so many wonderful teachers in our life who inspire us. But I know in my life too, sometimes our actions are in, in as a, as a result of sort of pushing back on something that we don't like seeing somebody that we don't want to be. Oh, and yeah, and I think that that's a really powerful fa- powerful influence. And it sounds like it set you on an interesting path,
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Powerful is exactly the word I would use. I think, you know, just really seeing how one negative word and one comment can really turn someone off to to just dislike what they're doing. um and and just watching my friends. Kind of just turn off. You could just like see their light kind of turn off. And um, I was very fortunate to have my outside sources of love. I had the New Jersey Symphony too with Barbara Barstow, just like amazing spirit, just really just so much love everywhere in music. So it was, you know, those kind of bouncing off of each other. Um, So I, you know, my high school, luckily, I got back to having a good, an amazing teacher within my public school. So um, Lynn Berry was the high school orchestra teacher, and she she really took me on as a teacher. Um, she had me as a freshman in high school lead some sectionals with the cellos, and, and she really, I feel like, helped me see myself as a teacher because she, she treated me like one. She kind of, you know, would talk to me about certain things. And um, the band teacher, who I didn't have a class with until I was a junior or senior in high school, he knew what I was into with the music. And I would go in during my free periods and we would talk about music. And so they the two of them really treated me a little bit like a colleague. And I think that that helped influence me for sure, just to to see what teaching could do. That's lovely. So what part of this educational
1: journey prepared you the best for your current career as a cello teacher? I mean, it sounds like there were all these influences along the way, but maybe let's let's focus on the academic experience or particular classes you took. Was there anything at any of those schools or with any of those teachers that, that really prepared you for your, you know, your, your job today?
0: Sure. Absolutely. You know, the, the performance degrees were, you know, instrumental in helping me become the cellist I am today. And I think, you know, to really, to teach, you really have to be able to play. <laughs> um, so that for sure was a sp- amazing foundational start. Um but yeah, Teachers College, um, you know, there's just an amazing toolbox of the psychology and learning theories behind everything we do. And so that's really just laid, just every decision I make comes from what I learned from, from Teachers College and with all of that. But it really wasn't until I got to School for Strings where that all of the pieces kind of came together um and that was i think what i use mostly in the day to day is is what i got from schools for strings with pam um just the way that she organized everything about how she teaches and the the music and and how every step of what we're doing is about 10 years in the future you know when we're we're starting from the very first lesson i'm already thinking ahead to what this chalice is gonna be like 10, 15 years later. And so that,
1: yeah. yeah. Powerful. So tell, tell us a little bit more about this, this sort of tension with the, the performance part of it, the education. I mean, it sounds like you went to school knowing that you were very interested in teaching. Um, did you feel in college that there was a, a path for that? uh even as you were preparing to be the best cellist you could be, were there opportunities for you to continue to sort of have the experiences that you'd had in high school of guest conducting and mm-hmm. and mentoring younger students and anything like that or or did you did you feel like um you know, the path to being a teacher was entirely separate from this path?
0: yeah, to, no i'm I'm glad you're bringing me back to this, this because you know, when I think, in the past, of course, I'm thinking of, you know, my performance degree brought me to here, but yeah, at the time, I, I think it was a little bit frustrating. Um, It didn't seem to me that there was a way to get to how do you teach the cello? You know, there was, there was a music education degree presented to me, which is you have to learn all the instruments and learn in a school setting, but when I went to school, there really wasn't a path to become a cello teacher the way there is now. You know, I think schools are starting to really take that on. Um, But there also, you know, there was a Suzuki program at Cleveland Institute and I, I didn't explore it. I think I, you know, there, there wasn't, there wasn't an emphasis on teaching in school. It was all about you know, how, how good are you as a player? And it, it it wasn't encouraged. And I, I think I, I don't, I wouldn't say I was embarrassed, but I, it it wasn't what the better players were doing. And I think I wanted to be on the path to be the greatest cellist I could be. And, and so I didn't think about, I didn't even consider signing up for the Suzuki program, at Cleveland Institute, when it would have been a very easy thing for me to do, um, by the time I did it in New York, it was actually quite difficult because i I was already working and I had to find the time. And there were days I I just couldn't earn money because I was in this program, and so it was it was a stressful <laughs> time the way I did it. And I I did often think, "Gosh, if I had just taken this one course <laughs> in my undergrad, yeah."
1: So continuing those reflections, what other advice would you give to musicians who know that they're interested in going into teaching, um, but kind of get caught up in this uh, system of conservatories or music schools, of really of any genre, preparing people to perform instead? Do you think there's sort of an either or there? Or do you...
0: No, now I think there's really there are a few options, and I would really recommend students to know about their teachers and their interest in pedagogy um, as as something that they're exploring with their with their private teachers, but then also looking at the schools and what programs they're offering, you know at Cleveland, our pedagogy program was uh it was basically I think we had to observe 10 lessons over a semester and write a paper and that was our pedagogy class um so just kind of looking into which schools have you know off the top of my head I know Ithaca College has an amazing program for for music ed where you get to really have your cello teacher there and do some Suzuki programs, but you know, I don't want to list off here, but it's just, what are the questions to ask? And I I do think now there are are certainly more options and schools are really trying to help a little bit more with the behind the scenes business end of it. Um, You know, that was something that just was not focused on, you know, 20 years ago when I was in school. Um, You know, that's, that's where, the duet platform is just such a valuable source that just would have done wonders if I had at the beginning of my career to just learn about, you know, how to make a website and how to have the bookkeeping and have all that stuff. So I think think schools are starting to get the idea of how to help helped students and teachers out with that, but it certainly wasn't something (laughs) 20 years ago for sure.
1: When we've talked before, you've mentioned just that this educational journey that you were on did leave you with student debt, right? Um, Is that, is that something you regret? Do you feel like it was necessary um, to get to where you are today? How, what advice would you give to, to, you know, young, young students who are, are interested in pursuing.
0: Sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's a complicated question because I don't, I don't really believe in regret. You know, I feel like everything I've done has gotten me to where I am today. Um, and I had an amazing education and, and I know that every step of the way has helped me become the teacher that I am today. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really struggle. I took on an amazing amount of debt. And then when I think about it, you know, I was 18 when I took on the first amount, and I was allowed to sign on to, I think, maybe $40,000 for the first one at 18 years old. You know, and you think about when people buy a house, what they have to go through to take on that loan. It, you have to go through such a deep process, and I mean, months of of going through all of your information. And I just signed something, and I, I I mean, I barely barely thought about it. And you know, I've talked a lot about it with my parents, and they they really didn't know either. I think there was you know a ten year window where college education was just so astronomical. But it was before everybody knew how bad the, the debt, the student debt and loans would be, and and I, I've seen I have colleagues about ten years younger than me that didn't fall into the trap, so I'm I'm hopeful that that students are kind of learning from my experience. But um, yeah, I was 18 when I took this first debt, and then I went on to purchase college. I took on some more, and then I took on. I, almost another 40 for teachers college um and in the end you know it's by the age of 23 i've i've set my whole adult life into i mean in my just a debt that will carry me everywhere it affects my ability to own a home and it, it affects um you know whether i have children i mean that's a a huge thing of it now um but, you know, you don't necessarily need your big name school for your undergrad. I, um, grad schools give a lot more money to students because they, they assume that the student is on their own. Um, you know, when I was an undergrad, they took my parents' financials, even though my fin- parents weren't able to help as much as they wanted to, because they had other expenses, you know, colleges give you, they give you your financial aid with your parents in mind for your undergrad. So I would really recommend finding your cheapest option for your undergrad. And then, you know, for grad school, you can, you can get a little bit more financial help um, without the loans <laughs> um, in grad school. And there are certainly ways to do it without taking on the debt. And I think I don't even i I barely even questioned a different path when I was eighteen. It was, Oh, you have to take on student loans because this is a school you have to go to, and there wasn't much more to it at that time. So I, you know, I think just kind of looking and seeing what are other ways to get the same kind of education without taking on student loans.
1: Yeah, well, no, i I appreciate you being so honest about that. it's I think it's something that we don't talk enough about, but that, um, you know, musicians in particular probably suffer under, you know, um, in in, in greater proportion than some other industries because the education is Mm -hmm. often so, so demanding and so high. Um, that, yeah, I I think there, there are probably many of our listeners, many of our teachers who are in that situation. So. And
0: when you're a young kid and you, you know, you want to be, you want to be the best cellist or best student or whatever you're going for. You know, I, you get into this amazing school and it was like,
1: you How know, you say Cleveland no. Institute yeah. was
0: such a reach school for me. And I, I just, I didn't even think about it. I was like, I have to go here. You know, the schools where I m- might've been able to get a scholarship, I was just like, I didn't even want to think about it. I wanted to get into the hardest school <laughs> I got into. And, and that's where I went. And um, you know, it's like I said, I have some colleagues that I that are younger than me, and I've seen the choices that they made. And, you know, part of me feels good that they've learned through my <laughs> experiences. I know that my my cello teacher when I was in high school changed her advice to her students because of what I went through. Um, and i and I've seen the changes in what her students are are now doing and and so i there's something to be said for being a cautionary tale <laughs> and 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 so I am encouraged to see that students are falling into this trap less and less, but um that that's a big part of why I'm open to it. and um, yeah, I mean, my know my cousins have changed how they gone to school because my family knows what I took on. And so it's, it's a big, it's a big deal, I think. So I, I like to be open about it, even though it's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, very,
1: very helpful, very insightful. I am, I have a daughter applying to college right now and we're, we're having these same conversations, even if she's not applying to conservatory. So I think it's a, it's a great perspective for anybody who's who's considering that next step in life. Um, we I know you've mentioned so many teachers um already in our conversation, but I'm wondering if there's one who really just stands out for you and if you could share with us what made them the most influential of all of your wonderful teachers.
0: Sure. Um yeah, I mean without a doubt, um Madeline Golds I've, I've already mentioned she, you know, I was with her from the ages of ten to eighteen um so not only is she just such an amazing human being and teacher but th- those are just such formidable ages you know you go through everything i i've i went through some really hard times in those 8 years and just to have that weekly check in um by my by high school i was taking two lessons a week with her but you know just an hour a week with her just one-on-one and it everything it was all focused on me <laughs> you know and it was it was about music but it was also how are you doing what's happening with your life and I i really I think that you know I think I mentioned to you I she was really a therapist for me <laughs> um in many ways and um I, d- I don't think I would be the person I am today without her influence so I I still refer to her as my teacher, um, which I laugh about because I I taught with her for about six or seven years at a school, and and I still when I talk to about her to other people, I say, oh well, my teacher, this and that. You know, it's been like thirty years since I've. Um, what an interesting experience! Yeah,
1: to then become her her colleague.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, it's really you know, and she also started me off teaching young. Um, I was probably about. 15 or 16 years old. And she had me helping out some of her students who needed some practice help. So, you know, that same kind of thing of, of putting me on the level of colleague from a very young age. And we got to compare notes because I, you know, I would teach her student and I would say, well, they were struggling with this, this, and that. And she would talk to me about how to handle it. So, um, yeah. So I think we developed that a little bit of that relationship from when I was in high school. So it's you know, she's just such a special part, part of my life. Um, But yeah, you know, there's every teacher, every teacher you meet, you know, comes into your life in a different stage and meets what you need. You know, it's even Gaber, I think really is where I got my sound from my, my cello sound. Um, and Julia Lichten really helped me find my voice. And I, you know, like I said, I think she really helped direct me to like, what is your priority? What do you want to be doing? Um, and part of that was also just the stage of life I was in where that's what I needed (laughs) at that time. And, um, Cam Davenport has shaped everything about how I organize my thoughts and organize my teaching studio. And, um, yeah, so I I guess I can't really answer that as one teacher. <laughs> Madeline's my go-to, my first answer, but, yeah, every teacher. Um, and that's a big part of what brought me to teaching is knowing that special relationship and and what that teacher can do a child's life is really what drew me to teaching Um, and what you know when I said I I really missed that one-on-one when I was doing a lot of the nonprofit in the school's work is I really missed that that connection between you know the adult and the student just that that one-on-one time.
1: Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about how Duet can be your digital partner in managing your music studio visit duetpartner.com. And don't forget to rate this podcast on Apple and Spotify. We give monthly prizes to those who take the time to rate us on those platforms. Thanks.